This recording is intended to be used as an educational resource for healthcare providers. It is in no way a substitute for the independent decision making and judgment of a qualified healthcare professional. It should not be used to make a diagnosis or to overrule the advice of a qualified healthcare provider, nor should it be used to provide advice for emergency medical treatment. Good afternoon. My topic is an area that I've been interested in now for uh, 15 years, which is the potential clinical and physiologic significance of elevated pulmonary dead space in patients with ARDS. I'm going to go back and give you uh, a history of how we became interested in this. Um, first is are my, my disclosures, and, um, um, and so then I'll go on from there. So pulmonary dead space and ARDS, uh, five uh, themes. First, background and rationale. Second, primary results from our initial study, uh, plus follow-up studies from us and other investigators, uh, mechanisms that might explain the elevated dead space in patients with ARDS, and then the uh, question of whether or not we can or should estimate pulmonary dead space versus measure it, and then the conclusions. So everyone knows that the classic physiologic abnormality in ARDS is hypoxemia. Uh, the patient's chest x-ray is shown here, has bilateral uh, airspace opacities, and the uh, <clears throat> histologic picture shows alveolar filling. And uh, the hypoxemia is secondary to alveolar filling, and also some degree of atelectasis of the alveoli, resulting in low VQ and uh, frank intrapulmonary shunting. But we have noticed in ARDS network and other clinical trials for many years that the baseline minute ventilation in patients enrolled in clinical trials is virtually always elevated to about twice normal. So if normal minute ventilation is about six liters, it's consistently 12 liters. And, the question, and this is in early ARDS, and the question is why? We reason that either there is a marked increase in carbon dioxide production or an increase in alveolar dead space. Now, many years ago, Julius Comro from the University of Pennsylvania, who founded our Cardiovascular Research Institute at UCSF, uh, published this simple diagram to illustrate how dead space really occurred simplistically in the lung. And you can see here on the side where the, the B is that what we're talking about is ventilation to an alveolar unit that does not have blood flow. Now, there could be variations on a theme here that could be reduced blood flow as opposed to no blood flow, but that's the basic idea. And I always say on rounds in the ICU, what this means is high VQ. People are so used to saying VQ mismatch. I think that's a, an inadequate statement. I think patients should be described as having high VQ, such as this, which will cause dead space, or low VQ, which is more associated with hypoxemia. So the hypotheses for our initial study are shown here. The dead space fraction is elevated early in ARDS, and two, an elevated dead space fraction will have an independent predictive value for identifying ARDS patients with a high mortality. So to test this uh, hypothesis, we did a study over three years at both our university medical center and our city county hospital in San Francisco. 179 patients were prospectively enrolled, and we collected clinical, pulmonary, and severity of illness data. 
At that time, we measured the dead space with the bedside metabolic monitor, the Deltrac, normally used to help guide nutritional replacement. We, of course, calculated the dead space, dead space fraction with the modified Bohr equation, where in the numerator you have arterial PCO2 concentration divided by mixed expired CO2, not to be confused with the entitled CO2, but mixed expired CO2 divided by the arterial PCO2. So in us right now, my PCO2 is let's say 40, my mixed expired CO2 is 30. If you put 40 in the denominator, it's 10 divided by 40 or 25% as a approximate normal dead space reflecting largely anatomic dead space. Tadavime in this trial was a mean of 10 plus or minus 1.4 mLs per kilogram. We were just at the cusp, the turnover period to low tidal volume, an issue I'll come back to, and we also measured static respiratory compliance. Uh, patients were mean of 48 years old, a little younger because of the inclusion of patients from the city hospital. Clinical disorders, sepsis 25%, pneumonia 31%, aspiration 11%, major trauma, overdose, and so on 34%. Overall mortality, 42%. Now, here are the baseline characteristics. PF was 147, pretty severe. Tidal volume, as I mentioned, 10 ml per kilogram. Ideal body weight, respiratory compliance. Minute ventilation, just as we anticipated, was twice normal, 12.1 liters. Dead space fraction overall was 0.58, so quite elevated. If a normal, so I'll show you, is around 0.35 to 0.38 in a uh, normal ventilated patient without lung disease. Um, uh, statistical analysis was done as the primary outcome variable of death before hospital discharge, logistic regression, SAPS2 for severity of illness, and a multiple logistic <clears throat> progression for independent association with death. Now, at the end of the study, there were several univariate variables that were associated with, with death, which you would expect, and let's just go through them briefly. The PF ratio was lower in non-survivors. The dead space was 0.63 in non-survivors and 0.54 in survivors. Respiratory compliance was lower in those who died. Lung injury score was higher in those who died. SAPS2 was higher. And as you would expect, sepsis was higher, 51% versus 31% in the, those who died. Vasopressor use was about twice higher. The low tidal volume protocol was just making its way into clinical practice, just a small number of patients, 31, but of course it makes sense that it was more common in the survivors. Cirrhosis, uh, not quite significant. Now then, and then not, NPOFC is non-pulmonary organ failure. Um, so then we put this into a multivariate analysis, and the three variables that turned out to be independently predictive of mortality are here. Pulmonary dead space fraction with the highest odds ratio at a .002 value. SAPS2, index of severity of illness, and respiratory compliance. All the others fell out. And looking at the data just in a figure, you can see here the early elevation of dead space, and these were done within 24 hours of the diagnosis of ARDS. And you can see that the median was 0.58 in ARDS versus ventilated controls, where it was 0.36. And here's the data for non-survivors versus survivors. It was significantly higher in the non-survivors versus survivors, as I've already said, and you can see there's a pretty good separation there. 
And then when we broke the data down according to dead space fractions, taking uh, increments as shown in this, in this uh, figure, with mortality on the y-axis and dead space fractions on the x-axis, you can see at the cutoff around 0.57 to 0.61, the relationship to mortality began to increase sharply in those uh, two bar graphs. And then in a follow-up study published two years later uh, by Rich Calais, one of the key authors of this work, we found that measuring dead space at later time points in ventilated patients with ARDS still had predictive value for death. Perhaps not a surprise, but it's shown here for day one, day two, day three, and day four. I think the most important observation was day one, uh, but still this shows there was a continuing association with a poor outcome. And then, uh, in part because we wanted to see if this still was true in the low tide of volume era, we did a follow-up uh, study in 42 patients uh, with ARDS, this time measured by volume capnography, the simple bedside method that I'll come back to. Uh, all patients were ventilated with 6 ml per kilogram ideal body weight, tidal volume. And the baseline pulmonary dead space, again, was predictive of death, 0.61 versus uh, 0.53. And several other studies have continued to confirm this. Uh, work from Dr. Passanti's and Dr. Gattinoni's uh, group uh, published in the New England Journal in 2006 found that elevated dead space has predictive <coughs> value for mortality in ARDS. A study we did uh, at UCSF with Kathleen Liu leading it showed that elevated dead space when combined with a biologic marker, ANG2, uh, was predictive mortality. And then there was a study in CHEST in 2010 that also confirmed this. Uh, what accounts for this increase in dead space fraction in early ARDS? Well, we don't know precisely, but the two possibilities, it seems to me, are thrombotic or inflammatory injury in the pulmonary capillaries, the microcirculation, and or obstruction of blood flow in the extraalveolar lung circulation, resulting in areas of high ratio of ventilation to perfusion. And many years ago, over 30 years ago at Mass General, um, uh, there was a group led by Warren Sapol that was studying the pulmonary macrocirculation, and they did angiograms in patients in whom they had pulmonary arterial catheters, and they wedged the catheter and injected dye. And they identified, in fact, um, macrovascular obstruction in many of these patients. Uh, in fact, they found it in about uh, um, half of their patients. Uh, and it was associated with severity of ARDS, presence of DIC, pulmonary hypertension, and a poor outcome. Again, this is in the era before lung protective ventilation. And they also did uh, very uh, well done uh, studies on patients who died and found obliteration of a lot of the lung capillaries in patients who succumbed um, later with thrombosis, medial thickening, and decreased vascular density. Now the issue has come up, could we just estimate dead space fraction rather than measure it? And to answer this question, Jeremy Beitler, a highly motivated, uh, bright pulmonary critical care fellow at Beth Israel in uh, Boston under the supervision of Danny Talmore, worked with several of us, uh, several of us including Taylor Thompson, to evaluate um, four different methods for estimating uh, uh, pulmonary dead space. Uh, the different methods are listed here, and they were done in patients in whom we had data for actual measurement of uh, 
actual measurement of dead space fraction. And I'll just show you the results here. The manuscript is not yet published. I think it will be soon. But the main point to, to appreciate here is of the four methods tested, only the Harris-Benedict one in the upper right-hand corner or left-hand corner um, actually had some reasonable relationship to the measurement of dead space. Harrison-Benedict predicted measured VDBT to within plus or minus 0.10 in 70% of the patients. But that's not really terrific when you think about dead space. If, it, if the dead space were 0.65, it could be wrong in the in direction of 0.55 or 0.75. So it's not great. And if you took all 95% of the patients, the standard deviation was 0.20, which is quite a lot. It also was less accurate when the PCO2 was less than 30. So if you had to estimate, this would be the one to use, but uh, it's, um, it's not terrific. Uh, the further data in, the in this uh, slide just shows that compared to all the others, the Harris-Benedict was, was the best for mirroring the actual measured VD, VD association. It was within 7% of measured VD, VDVT in all quintiles. It did improve predictive validity for mortality when we added it to the Berlin definition. The Berlin definition didn't have patients in whom dead space was measured. And so they were hampered by that. They, there's no, nothing they could do about it. But if we added this to the Berlin definition using this estimate, it did improve the mortality prediction. Um, so it has some value. Um, but our conclusions are VDVT should be measured in future randomized clinical trials to facilitate secondary analyses to shape research and practice. The Harris-Benedict estimate best predicts the measured VDVT and association mortality on a group level. Uh, it did enhance the predictive validity for death over the Berlin de definition alone, but I don't think it's adequate for individual care uh, and has the limitations I set. Uh, and just uh, to close here, I would just would like to make a plug for volume capnography. It's very straightforward to measure right at the end of the intratracheal tube. You get the mixed expired CO2, you get a blood gas, and you can measure the, uh, the uh, VDVT straight away. And this is data from Rich Kelly that shows that with uh, using one of the commercial methods, and not that I'm plugging it though, um, uh, to measure uh, mixed expired CO2 with the NICO monitor. So in conclusion, elevated dead space fraction predicts mortality in ARDS, a finding that has pathogenetic significance. Thrombotic and inflammatory injury to the lung microcirculation is probably a major, major early mechanism of lung injury in ARDS. And I believe that measurement of pulmonary dead space should be done in clinical research and trials in ARDS whenever possible. Thank you. This recording is a production of Open Pediatrics, a free and open access resource for pediatric clinicians worldwide. For more pediatric care materials or to join our global community, please visit our website at openpediatrics.org.